All right, welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. All of you that are watching on the YouTube channel and the guys, of course, obviously that are here in the room, and also those of you that may be listening uh, on an archive on the podcast channel or the Rick and Bubba social media platforms. However, you're getting this week's Bible study, we are thankful that you are here. Let's gonna we're gonna open up in a word of prayer, and and, and for all the men here that are in the room, and of course, all of you around there can join us as well. But by, if you're listening to an archive, I, I don't know whether this opportunity might have already passed. Uh, we have a very important bill that is going through our state Senate right now that will impact the whole country uh, involving um, uh, innocent life and where life begins. And as usual, there's politicians in the Senate right now that are trying to add amendments to it, uh, to, to which would really hinder it accomplishing what we hope it will accomplish. So let's pray right now. I know that we have uh, Rich Wingo who's here in our class and others that are, that are there right now, and they're, they're fighting and fighting and fighting. Uh, to get this bill through exactly the way it is, because it's crucial that it be exactly the way it is now. Politicians, as you know, sometimes if they get if it gets a little dicey, they tend to get a little scared and start trying to uh, dumb things down to make it more palatable for them, palatable for them. And then, of course, they'll tell us later what great Christians they are. But right now, let's go ahead and pray, uh, and uh, alongside all of that are fighting for that right now, Lord Jesus, uh, we submit to your authority today. I pray, Lord, that you will. Uh, We'll, we'll refine us again today. Lord, there's going to be some things about you today uh, that the world tells us about you that uh, in today's study that, that, that some of us, including, may, may, including me, may not have had right. And that's the reason why our discipleship and our sanctification must continue as you continue to reveal to us exactly who you are. Right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I know that uh, I, I just sense in my spirit and, and the men here that you are giving our country an opportunity for us to see exactly what we're doing when it involves taking the, the innocent life of the unborn. Uh, Lord, you, you, you could not have made it any clearer to us, even those, even people like me, that at one time felt differently about where life begins, and you have completely uh, cleared uh, that up in my mind. And forgive me, Lord, for the years that I did not believe that, and forgive me for the damage that, that, that I did during those times. I pray, Lord, today as, as, as the opportunity presents itself to our state and then eventually to our country to, to look at this, this topic once and for all and to do the right thing, that you will take this bill that's been presented as it is and it survive the Senate who will a- attempt to amend it in some way, shape, or form, making it less powerful. I pray, Lord, that, 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 that all those attempts be destroyed and that it go through exactly the way it is. And, Lord, we just pray this in the name of Jesus, the name above every name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bible, uh, let's get to First Peter because we're going to start. This is, uh, this is uh, Lesson 2 in Chapter 2. Uh, we're in the book by Jerry Bridges, The Pursuit of Holiness. Again, we talked about how holiness can be a very controversial topic even within the church. Uh, but the Bible says quite a bit about holiness as we'll talk about today. So one of the things we want to talk about today, and, and we did this verse last week, but I'm going to revisit it. And this is the part in First Peter, uh, which we're talking about starting in Chapter 1. We talked about 13, but we're going to move up to what, and Peter's already telling us that we, we no longer are held to the passions of our former uh, ignorance. And then in verse 15, he says, but as he who called you is holy, and we're going to land right there today, you also be holy in all your conduct. For he who has called you is holy. So today we're going to focus, because if we're going to move forward in this study, we must be well-versed and completely understand what God's revelation about himself says about his holiness. Now, I'll start off with you know Jerry Bridges 
inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us a very straightforward statement. And I think this is something that we have to decide whether we really believe this or not today. And the statement is this, God has called every Christian to a holy life. There are, let me hear, listen now, no exceptions. There are no exceptions to this call. That means that if you are a person who claims to be a follower of Jesus and you have been redeemed by the power of the resurrection and your sin has been paid for by the gruesome price of the cross, it doesn't matter whether you're a pastor a missionary, a Bible teacher, and that list can go on and on. Your vocation does not have to be ministry for you to be called to holiness. The same call to holiness that applies to the pastor, the missionary, the Bible teacher, etc., applies to the plumber, to the coach, and yes, it, you know, lawyers. There are lawyers, I think, that may be going to heaven. There may be one or two. Uh, to, to, to bankers, and the list just goes on. Bottom line is, if you claim, and I claim, that I've been redeemed by Jesus and I've now been reconciled back to the, our holy God, then he has called me to be holy. Every single person with no exception. So this call to a holy life is based on the fact that God himself is holy because God is holy. He requires that we also be holy. Now, that, we just got to be sure we're clear on that before we move forward to how that actually takes place. So that, that, that's got to be clear. So no longer can anybody say, if you've heard this or been around, you no longer have the excuse. Uh, I, so is everybody called to be holy? I know that there's a, script, a lot of scripture about this, but, you know, holy is kind of a high standard. And, and, and see, this is once again, this is why this gets important. Are we going to get to the point that we don't have faith that God's power can make us holy? Remember, remember that's one of the things we've been touching on for four years that we got to be very careful that we claim that something is powerful enough to redeem us from sin, but it's not powerful enough to make us holy. You can't have it both ways. So if, if that part of holiness is not happening in your life or in my life, there's something wrong because the power to be holy has been afforded to me. Many Christians, I like this, and I have certainly been this person. Many Christians have a cultural holiness. You've heard us talk about cultural Christianity a lot, and it is alive and well. Cultural Christianity nearly killed me. And I'm not blaming anybody but myself, but just understand that, that, that it did. Uh, and that's when I thought, well, I believe in Jesus, and I certainly believe all the things I'm supposed to believe, and, and I did say I want to be forgiven of my sins, so surely that's enough. Many Christians have a cultural holiness that they adapt to the character and the behavior patterns of Christians around them. So instead of saying my standard of holiness is God's standard, my standard of holiness are all the other people that claim to believe the same thing I do. So what I'll do instead of going into the church body to look to God to worship him and to cry he's holy, you are holy, make us holy, I go into the church and say we're all here to worship this holy God, but my standard for holiness is actually all of you, not him. And buddy, I've been guilty of that. And like I say, and, and I, you know what's the problem with that? If you take on that, first of all, it's the wrong standard. But secondly, even when we think, well, that'll be an easier standard, what do we do? Anybody that becomes a hard standard, we, we then what? We ostracize that person. Oh, they're, 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 over, they're over the line. I promise you right now, hear me, and y'all know it. 
There's very few people that I would say, I vouch for that man. Rich Wingo is one of those guys. I promise y'all, there are people in Montgomery right now, that's the capital of our state for those of you around the country may not know this, where this, where this legislation is going through that, that he is a, a huge player in. I promise you, there are fellow Christians, and I'm putting quotes around this, that think Rich Wingo is a lunatic. He goes too far with things. Look, we know it, guys, it done. He goes too far. No, it may be that people like Rich actually are living up to the standard, and that bothers us because we aren't. Because Rich is willing to do something that you won't do. So instead of saying, I'd like to be, I'd like to access the power that Rich has accessed, that he's actually inspired me, we start saying, well, I don't want to be like Rich. That's over the line. Let's not go too far with this. And so that is the problem. And, of course, our adversary loves when we have that attitude. God hasn't called us to the standard of those around us. He has called us to live like him. So remember we said when we, when we did the, the 40-day devotional when Andy Blanks and I got together and we were tossing around the titles of what this devotional should be called, and it was for, for males, for men, and we just kept landing on, well, why are we being so complicated about it? Let's just call it how to be a man. <sighs> and, and, then, and then people lost their minds, even Christians. People surprised me who got upset about that. I said, what is the problem with this? Well, that's just, I don't know about that. That's, that's over the line. Well, no man's going to read something on the front of it that says how to be a man. I mean, so y'all know how to be a man? I said, no, 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 no. No, we're flawed. The pursuit of Christ-centered masculinity. So I think I can have zero reservation to say, if you want the perfect example of how to be a man, the perfect example is when God became one. Right? God's standard for a man, I guess, would be flawless. Since the last time I checked, he's flawless. So that was the focus of the book. So this is what, um, what, what uh, he, uh, Jerry is talking about. He says, what he has said to us is, certainly the holiness that I demand can only be found in me, but I'm offering it to you. And if you don't have it, uh, it, it isn't because it's unattainable. It's because you have no desire to attain it. You, you, and and we, remember, we talked about that dance of God provides it, and then what is our role and action involved in it? And, um, and, and when, if you look in the Bible, it said holiness is, is one of God's attributes, along with his, his majesty, his purity, his moral perfection. God, look at this, talk about an example. And you look at this in Scripture, we're going to talk about this a little bit today. How God, it's one thing the way God sees the lost, and we'll get into that today. But it's another way, the way he sees those who know better. God never, ever knows what's right and does the opposite. It's not in his character. He's morally perfect. He's moral perfection. And so if you, if you, don't, if you think I'm, I'm, once again, going too far with this, if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I remember, and we're going to talk about this more today, but I remember... I was, this is when I first became a follower of Jesus and, and had some sort of a platform. I didn't really know what, how, how to work it out, and I certainly wasn't ready yet. And I had a pastor who was very kind that said, look, I'm going around, and I'm grabbing Christians who are, you know, have some kind of platform in our culture, and I'm having these Christians send me a question 
that the, that my church would know who you are. You know, you James Spans, you you Rick and Bubba's, all this kind of stuff here locally. And then I'm going to have you come, and you just do like a 10-minute devotion, but I'm going to answer the question that you send in. I thought, okay. So I was trying to think, what could I do to really be provocative? You know. And so I sent, are there degrees of sin? And he said he was preparing the message to come back and say, well, no. And he said, until I went to Matthew chapter 11. And I realized that certainly the standard of sin is the same, meaning any sin keeps us from being redeemed. That's why we're all in need of of equal redemption. He said, but when I, I saw God's attitude toward some sins seemed to be more severe than his attitude toward others. And he said, so Jesus in Matthew 11, beginning in verse 20, he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Say that again. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. And he says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than you. What? What? And what is Jesus saying? He's, you know, Matthew tells us at the beginning, he is, he's telling these three cities, my, my father has destroyed places that didn't get the shot you got. If they had seen me the way you've seen me, and most of the, these were the big miracles were all done in these three cities. And I've been there, and Jesus is right. Uh, there's not a lot there anymore. As a matter of fact, Bethsaida and, uh, and Chorazin are nothing. Okay, Capernaum's got some tourist attractions, but there's not a lot happening there. And what he was saying is, if, 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 if Sidon, Tyre, and Sodom, all that were destroyed for their wickedness, if they had seen what you saw, they would have repented. But yet you've seen me, you've watched me reveal myself over and over and over again, and you still reject me. You still will not repent of your sin. And he says, my Father who is holy finds that less tolerable than Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom, who he destroyed. And it's going to be worse on you on the day of judgment than it is going to be on them. Why? Because you should have known better. They didn't get the shot you got. Now, they had their shot. Don't misunderstand me. But they didn't know what these three cities knew. So that's the point. It, it, it is not tolerable for God to look to the so-called believer who claims to know everything and then does the opposite. You know why? You know what he's saying? Because you should have known better. He's saying to me, Rick Burgess, I have have more stomach for the streetwalker in Las Vegas that God forbid she die in her sin if she does and doesn't repent. She'll spend eternity in hell. But I can tolerate her more than I can tolerate you because you claim otherwise and continue to sin. I can stomach her more than I can stomach you because you should know better. She doesn't know what you know. And that's what he's saying. So God never, 
knows the right thing to do and does the opposite. God doesn't vacillate. You know, that's how we are. We kind of we kind of wait and see what the situation is. You know, I'm on right now today, I'm going to really be holy because I'm in front of a lot of people. But now when I get out here in my recreational life, I'm going to act a little different. Over here at the ball field, I'm going to act a little different. At the ball game, I'm going to act a little different. I'm going to act a little different down at the bar. I'm going to act a little different over here when I'm out on a golfing trip and, and, and all this. God doesn't do that. He always does what's just and right without the, listen to this, slightest hesitation. He didn't hesitate. He's moral perfection. And he's calling us to say, for I am holy, you be holy. What's all this moral hesitation? Why, why, why do you kind of continue to, 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 to put your finger in your mouth and get it wet and hold it up and see which way the wind's blowing and whether you're going to do the right thing or not? You know what it reminds me of? How I was as a child. And I don't mean the good kind of child like the fake of a child. I'm talking about the rebellion of a child. This is how I operated. 100%, which is why my parents had to be who they were and why the school had to be who they were. If I wasn't going to get in trouble for it, I'd do it. Bottom line. If there was no punishment coming, and it needs to be punishment that I was really dreading. If I, if I got in a teacher's room and I knew she couldn't paddle hard, I was a nightmare. Because even if she paddled me, it didn't hurt. But now when my daddy showed up, the things that he corrected have stayed corrected because it was severe. And so, so what, what's happened is, back to we talk about, you know, uh, I, I say from Valleydale Sunday, and we talked at the prayer practice, and Danny saw me, and I made it back for preaching, didn't I? Yeah. All right, so, and, you, and that was a great, great job. But anyway, we were talking about this. We've lost the fear of God. Even though I had to, I was going to give them all the scriptures about the fear of God, and I didn't have time because I would have taken up all my time reading scriptures on the fear of God. There's so many of them. Well, the same thing about holiness. We will find that in Scripture, of all the attributes of God, guess which one shows up the most? Holy. It's in there the most. And if we think he's holy and we think that he cannot tolerate sin, then if we truly believe that, we have a different attitude about the sin in our life. And here's what I like this. Write this down. The holiness of God is the absolute absence of any evil. The holiness of God is the absolute absence of any evil. John said about God, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, 1 John 1, 5. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. We actually just studied this recently in our home church. He himself is the very essence of purity. I love that. He himself is the very essence of purity. God always acts consistently with his holy character. God always acts consistently with his holy character, which means it, it, we're not acting like him when we act inconsistent with the holy character that we claim to have. That behavior is inconsistent. And, and, and I will tell you this, one of the things, this is me talking about my own life, the more I've pursued God's holiness and the more that, that he has sanctified me, I have found that that sensitivity to sin actually comes with that. There was a time when, and I remember it terribly, is that when I started to remove myself from the presence of God, still believing in him fully, by the way, the more I removed myself, the more I began to sin, 
like we talk about the, the slow fade, all of a sudden the worst thing happened. I didn't feel bad about it at all. I lost the regret. I lost the guilt. Now I was still trying to maneuver the consequences because, you know, I don't know if you've ever, some of you have been redeemed like me. I lied so much I couldn't remember who I told what. And, boy, you talk about living a confusing life is when you run into somebody that you told something you don't remember and now you're telling them what you told the other person. They're like, that's not what you told me. Oh, my goodness, you're not who I thought you were. You know what I mean? And, uh, and then everybody starts saying, Burgess told me a different story and all this kind of stuff. So, But what happened was, this is the worst part about it, there was no conviction. I went from, from being concerned about going too far in anything to not being concerned about anything. Like, I mean, really getting to the point where I said, I'm capable of anything. And not, not even understanding how, how did I end up here. I remember thinking this would be a place that I would not even remotely consider. In this situation, I would not even remotely consider. Now this has become my weekly life. How did this happen? And then the worst part, and I know some of you have been there because I've talked with you and you're not like me. Then comes the moment when you start thinking just like the addict. I don't know that I really want to live here in this earth without this. So we always paint the picture of the, of the down-and-out person in the gutter. Oh, my gosh, this has destroyed me. But that doesn't happen instantly. There's actually a run in there where you start foolishly being deceived by, by evil that this is better than the life you would live in the authority of Christ. I mean, it's not true, but you start believing it because you'll believe a lie. And you start thinking, I actually kind of like this. No matter, and then, then one bad thing's happen, another thing happens, and God's just like, which we're going to take that on today, by the way. We're, we're, what, what is God's true attitude about that, that, that kind of living? We say some things that the Bible says, mm, one of them is going to, be, going to rattle the room, and I'm going to get email about it, but you can take that up with Jerry. But anyway, so, but I agree with him after studying Scripture and did some more research on this. God always acts consistently with his holy character. We do not, but he says that he's holy and that we should be holy. Why? Because he's holy. I mean, do we not agree that that's what Scripture said? I'm, uh, guys, it does it? Because I can sense it. Some of you are saying this is going too far. I can sense it. Guys, you're going to have to take that up with God. We've we got to stop, like I've done, looking at something in Scripture, and if it doesn't jive with us, saying, mm, it can't really mean what it says. I don't know what else you want me to say about Peter saying, that God says, I'm holy, so you'll be holy in all your conduct. I don't, what else do y'all want me to do with that? I don't like hearing that either. Because i got to tell you something, it's an extremely high standard, which instead of me, see, but here's our first reaction to that, legalism, code of conduct. Oh, my gosh. That's not the reaction. The reaction needs to be, I need, to, I need more God. I need more God. He's the one that does this. I need more God. And... Um, you know, like we said before, submit, resist, come near. He does it. And so this, he says, we believe many times that God is unfair in his treatment of us. You go back to this in Genesis. We, we've done this so many times. I'm not going to do the whole thing again, but in the book, uh, Jerry did, because he didn't know how many times we'd studied this. But in Genesis 3, what happens? Satan sells us on the fact that God's unreasonable. He's not fair. He's trying to keep something from you. He's not looking after your best interest. I certainly have had that rebellious spirit in my life. Why would God deny me this? You ever, you ever been a parent? Now, you, you really understand God a lot more once you have children. 
Why would you deny me this? Because it's going to be the bad. It's, it's the wrong thing. This is not as great as you think it is. Well, why can't I do this? Because I, I know what it leads to. But Satan sold us from the very beginning of the fall that God's standard is unreasonable. Now, I want you to think about what a good sales job that was from the number one ranking angel who, who got a little full of himself. They had really been told there's only a couple of things I don't want you to do. How, how mad would that make you? If you said to your children, you know what, guys, I've made this house for you. I've, I've built in this downstairs for you. I've got you a pool outside. I've got you all this stuff. Hey, the cupboard is is got all the food you'll ever need. And I and, and, and you walk out and you're like, so y'all just have a great time. I don't care when you go, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, one thing I don't want you to do, don't walk over to that table and don't eat that bowl of cookies I got over there. Now, anything else you can do, but I, I want you to leave that alone because that's bad for you. You, you, you. I know things about those cookies you don't know. And then you know what? You leave the room, you know what they say? Well, he's unreasonable. <laughs> but that's what they got sold on. You know, why would he deny us that? And so we've been that way for a long time, but we're, now we're in a different mode. We're not asking what God denied us. We're mad about what he calls us to. Oh, well, think about that. We have just, now we've got a whole new gripe. It's not what he's denied us. We love his grace. We love his mercy. But, you know, we're saying holiness. Well, this area is unreasonable again, is it? What's next? No more fruit again off a tree? We, we have a God who, who said he's documented in the book of Genesis saying, I regret I did this. They're so wicked. They're so evil. They're so blasphemous. I regret I ever made them. And then he turns around and comes to us when we can't come to him, takes on flesh, sacrifices himself, defeats our sin, defeats death, says, y'all messed up in the garden. Y'all got sold a bill of goods. Uh, Satan, who rebelled against me, legitimately took away what I gave you. Now I'm giving it back to you. And I now have saved you by my grace and my mercy, and I am requiring now, because you're going to spend eternity with me, that you now start the process of being made holy again like me. And we go, huh, holiness? you got to be kidding me. Now, how would you feel? How would you feel if you were God? Don't forget, which we're going to get to the point that some of y'all are going to say, oh, I don't know about that, until we read Scripture, and then you're going to go, huh. But like I had to do, but think about that. Remember, remember what Sherry got to in our pain and suffering. When was the last time you had compassion for God's point of view? When was the last time that you actually saw it from his point of view? We wouldn't tolerate that from people who claim to lo they love us, but we expect him to tolerate it from us and just keep on being okay with it. To complain against God, this is good. To complain against God is to doubt his holiness. If we're making a complaint against his call to holiness, then we doubt that his holiness is, is, is real. We doubt the standard. That, that really, that hit me hard. Write that down, underline that. I love what um, Stephen Sharnock, I think is how you say his name. Uh, this was great. This is, this is right in the face. It is less injury to him, talking about God, to deny his being 
than to not then to deny his purity. Uh, and, and how about this? The one makes him no good. The other makes him a deformed, unlovely, and detestable God. He that says God is not holy speaks much worse about God than he that says he doesn't exist at all. It's less of an offense to say that God doesn't exist than to say he does exist, but I don't like his holiness. Because now we've made him into some kind of monstrous God, and it'd be better instead of insulting that about him, to say he exists, but I want to insult his character, you'd be better off just to say he didn't exist at all. It's less offensive. Now, I want you to think about that. Because these are the kind of things that we gotta, we, we got to talk about. I was just listening to David Wilkerson's message. Wow, what a preacher. And, he, and I was listening to his message that was talking about the sort of men that when they were transformed, like we talked about kind of like with Acts chapter 2 on, that God in his power turned these men in the Bible into a certain sort of man that we don't seem to be able to find anymore. I like when David says, if, if there was something that they felt like God was calling them to or something that, that God wanted them to lament over, they would, they'd fast 40 days like it was nothing. He goes, I can't fast three. They would lay on their side for a year if it was something that God was calling them to, to, to watch God move. He goes, we won't sacrifice anything. What happened to that sort of man? Any little inconvenience for us to serve God, to honor God, to lament over something God laments over, to care about what God cares about, Rick, I'm in as long as it's not too inconvenient. I mean, what happened? Have you read these guys in the Bible that were completely transformed by God? I wonder what would happen in this room. I'd like to say I'd do the right thing. So, so understand, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying, y'all be like me. I want us to really think about it. What, what would we do if that door flew open right now and people came in with long, sharp swords and says, anybody who doesn't denounce Jesus, we're going to cut your head off. Now, I know we all want to say, well, by God, I didn't cut my head off. I want you to really think about that now. Because I think what would happen with a lot of us, and maybe me, God forbid, is we would justify not getting our heads cut off right now so we can get out and serve God another way. That somehow compromising him right now would be okay. I want you to look at some of the, that sort of men in the Bible. You realize when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel would not bow to idols, and they would not bow, bow to Nebuchadnezzar, they would not bow to Darius, that they had captured a lot of people from Israel. They weren't the only ones. And there were a lot of them that said, God wouldn't want me to just be thrown in a furnace or to be killed, and if I bow to this king, but I don't really mean it, I mean, God's going to be fine with that. He didn't expect me to do this, does he? And see, I think some of us would do that. I might do that. I hope I wouldn't. Because you don't really know what you're going to do until you're in it. You know, it's easy to talk about what you would do. It's another thing to actually have to do it. But this, this is the sort of thing that he's talking about, the way we act about holiness. Are we willing 
to do things in our life and deny ourselves things in our life in order to, to be holy. And look, I'm, I'm, I'm right here with you. This is, this, is, this is a tough ride that we're going to be on right now, which probably makes it worthwhile. When, when we talk about acknowledging his holiness, acknowledging his holiness, why is that important? One thing is it's a way to worship him. I can tell you this. You've heard me tell you before. I, I can remember being in, being in the service and singing these songs about his holiness. He is holy, 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 holy. It never fails. When I'm saying those words and I'm singing those words or I'm saying those words, I'm moved. I'm moved to worship. You know, not, not every song moves me to worship. Now, some of that's on me, but I'm going to tell you something. Every song that cries holy, man, it just does something. And you know what it does? It makes me repent. It makes me be broken that I would ever sin against a holy God and to take him and treat him so flippantly and to not fear him more. Scripture calls him the Holy One. And this attribute of holiness, as I said a minute ago, is used more in Scripture to describe God than anything else. Exodus 15, 11, Moses says this, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory? Revelation 4, 8, as we just talked about, the four living creatures are around God's throne, and they never stop saying. Let's say that again. They never, John sees it, they never stop saying, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and is to come, who was and is and is to come. They never stop saying that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Who should I say is sending me? What is your name? I am. I always have been. If you ever have any children say, well, who made God? Nobody. Nothing gets made. He's the beginning of everything. He's the creator, and he is the force that creates. Where does, where does it all start? God. I've always been. Y'all have not. I have. And, and, and you know, just like we talked about when Piper said, and when we came on the scene, we did not change the character of God and somehow make him better. I'm going to tell you one of the things that we've got to get out of our system, and we've got to get it out now. God is not a human worshiper. You've you, I mean, you, you got to watch some of, the, some, of the, some of this theology out there, even in some songs. You would think that God just is going to lose his mind if we're not around. Now, d does he love us? Yes. But does he have to... Have us to complete him? <laughs> no. I, I don't even like sometimes seeing this thing that you didn't want heaven without us. I pretty much think heaven was going to go on with or without us. I'm not sure God said, I don't want to be here if y'all not going to be with me. I don't know if that's good theology, but, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful he's allowed us to be with him. But I'm not so sure that God was acting like that he was just going to be incomplete if somehow we didn't spend heaven in heaven with him. I'm not sure about that. You didn't want heaven without us. Mm. I'm not so sure that's good theology. But anyway, 
see, this is that thing again. Look at me. Look how special we are. See, that's what we do. We take it and flip it. And it's not how wonderful God is. Look how wonderful we are. And God, he's just, he's just so intrigued with us. He's obsessed with us. Man, that, man, if you want to say that God is gracious, hallelujah. You want to say he's merciful, you better believe it. But if you really think that somehow God is fretting about somehow his character is going to change if he doesn't have us, where in the world did you get that idolatry? We worship him. He does not worship us, nor does he need us. He certainly doesn't need Rick Burgess. Can you imagine God going, what are we going to do if we don't get Rick? What will we do? I mean, I breathe things into creation just by my presence, but i tell you that Rick is really, I just don't know that I'm going to be complete if I don't have him. I need God a lot more than he needs me. Somebody say amen. amen. So we got to come off that attitude. We got to watch this. And some of these young people out there writing stuff, we're going to have to correct some of them and say, you, like my wife said, this guy's going to be good once he suffers a little bit. Um, so, and of course, we know the seraphim in Isaiah 6 3. We've already talked about that as that vision that Isaiah presents of God's holiness is, is overwhelming. Uh, we also have Habakkuk that said, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. Don't miss that, because I'm just about to get to a point that's going to upset some people. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Here we go. Now we're going to get into some things that people are not going to like. You cannot tolerate wrong. God can't overlook sin. He cannot. We can justify our sin against him all we want to, but he can't. Okay, what does James say about uh, temptation in James 1.13? We studied that intent in depth, so I won't revisit that, but here it is in a nutshell. James makes it very clear that God doesn't tempt anyone to sin. The main reason we all sin is because of our own evil desires. Why do, why do I sin, Rick? Because you want to. Rick, why do you sin? Because you want to. Think about it. I, when I was speaking to Linda in Alabama the other night, what great people. And, and I just talked about myself. I said on this verse in James, I said, let's just all get a real reality check tonight. Satan is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He does not have the char characteristics of God. He's a created being just like all the angels and all the humans. Certainly he's a powerful angel. Certainly he is. And certainly we won't take him on without Jesus if we ever face him. If uh, Michael, the archangel, when he was fighting over Moses' body, said he had to defeat Satan with Jesus, we probably do too. So let me be clear on that. However, this is not Star Wars. You have heard me say this before, where there's the dark force and there's the light force, and they're equal but opposite. There is no equality to God. So Satan can't do what God does. He's not Darth Vader with just as much uh, power as the Jedi's. He doesn't. He's a created being like the rest of the angels. So what does that mean? And I was talking to Lyndon, Alabama, and I'm from a small town. I said, do y'all believe of all the places that Satan needs to be that he's in Lyndon, Alabama? I got to get to Lyndon. Or, or I've got to get, I got to get over, I got to get over in Indian Springs where Rick is. Do we really believe that? Now, I know that Martin Luther said that he could sense Satan at his back. Probably so since he was about to 
you know, pull off the Reformation? Probably so. And some people read that and think that that means we're in the same situation. No, not, not unless you're Martin Luther. You know what I mean? So most of the problems we find ourselves in is just our own flesh. It's our own sinful desires. Now, certainly there's demonic forces. I've experienced them. I've faced them. They're real. But it's still only a third of the angels, okay? But I promise you, Satan himself has got a bigger battle on his mind today than me. He's, he's, where he's trying to keep things from happening that are much bigger than me trying to be sanctified, okay? So a lot of the things that, that I fail in are just because I'm not where I need to be in my sanctification and holiness, yet I still let the flesh win more because I, I feed the flesh more than I feed the Spirit. It's on me. It's not on God. It's on me. It's not on Satan. It's on me. You know, that thing, we're always trying to make an excuse. It, the problem I'm in has to be something other than just me. You know, do you, I say this at the office all the time. Whatever happened, my dad was just a proponent. He loathed people who made excuses. It drove him up the wall and still does. Don't make an excuse. Say you messed up. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. Just say it. I got on the phone one time with a guy one time. We were trying to do some ministry with this, and he was supposed to go do something. I get the call. He wasn't there. I call him. I say, hey, man, where, where are you? Oh, man, was that tonight? Yeah. Well, um, I said, no, no. Were you supposed to be at this place at this time? I was. And you weren't there. I wasn't. Well, just tell me you didn't get the job done. I don't want to hear anything else on the phone unless somebody died or you're right now just got out of your car that's upside down in a ball of fire. Do you have any, anything like that that happened? No. You just didn't go because you forgot about it. Yeah. Well, then why did you tell me anything other than that? Hey, I want you to say in this phone, I was supposed to do something for ministry. I was supposed to do something for you. I told you I was going to do it. And I want you to say in this phone, I didn't do it. And he finally did. I said, okay, then. Okay, then. I don't make it okay, but how about this? I, I got nothing else to do now but just say, hey, man, I'm not going to hold this against the rest of your life. But please don't make excuses. When, do you realize how long it takes now to get a grown man to say, I screwed up? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Bunch of excuse making, nothing's ever my fault. And you know what that is? That, those kind of people usually don't get to repentance. Those kind of people will always try to justify what they're doing. And I've seen it, and y'all have too. It's abnormal not to see it. Somebody say amen. amen. It's abnormal not to see it. I mean, I see people all the time that, that can't, they can't seem to understand why they're in the situation they're in. It's, it's quite obvious. It's the decisions you keep making. Ah, oh, you know. You know, you ever get around these people? They've been divorced seven times, and the kids that they've had along the way are always getting mistreated by every coach and teacher they ever have. And I go, hey, can we look at something here? Is it possible that it's you? So, so where are all these hard? Every teacher your kids ever had is out to get him. Every single one. Every coach they've ever played for is not treating them right. Every single one. Either there's horrible teachers, horrible coaches, and horrible potential spouses everywhere, or it might be you. You're the only constant in all this. What if it's you? <laughs> and most of the time it is. So here we go. Zephaniah talks about um, that, uh, that, that there are things 
that God hates in Zephaniah, I mean, sorry, Zechariah. Zechariah 8, 17 lists sins, and it says, for these are things that I hate, God talking through Zechariah. God is holy, he hates sin, and he says this, when you look at the people of the Bible, we talked about King Saul last, last week about him justifying his sin. He lost his kingdom because he justified sin. How many times do we say, you don't understand, I didn't really have any choice on how I ended up in this sin. Now look at this. Our sanctification should breed a hate for sin. David said, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I get to where I hate every wrong path. Psalms 119, verse 104. So David said, the more I understand your precepts and the more I get close to you, I get to where I hate every wrong path the way you do. You do. And here it comes. Oh, speedy at rickandbubba.com. How many of you heard us say, God hates sin, but he loves a sinner? Not true. If you want to say God hates sins and he loves people, if you want to say God hates sin and he can be merciful to all who repent, that's accurate. But if you actually look at Scripture, when we live in perpetual sin, God does not love us. He hates us because he hates sin. And see, we love those little phrases. God, hey, hate the sin, love the sinner. Not if they keep on sinning. You can say, hate the sin and forgive the sinner when the sinner repents. But this notion that somehow God just has no reaction whatsoever, just continues to love us while we continue to blaspheme him and continue to live in evil, that is not biblical. That is not biblical. Psalms 5, somebody go with me. Psalms chapter 5. That's an easy one for those of us that are learning because you can just go right to the middle of the Bible and open it up. Psalms 5, see if, see if this sounds like God love, uh, hates sin but loves the sinner. Verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell within you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You hate all evildoers. You just don't hate sin. You hate those who do it. Listen to this. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Well, I, I, I thought I, I thought I, I, I thought that he just hates the sin, but he's okay with the people who are sinning. Not according to Scripture. Now, if you want to say that God hates sin, but He loves people, if you want to say God hates sin, but He loved the people of the world so much He was willing to redeem them if they repent, yes. But this notion that God just sits up there as we continue to—I will tell you this—the thirteen years of my life. When I wasn't just stumbling or trying to make a mistake and God could see that my efforts were, my efforts were, I reject you for 13 years. He hated me during those 13 years because I hated him. Now, was he, did, was he merciful when I repented? Yes, he was. Think about, don't, don't miss the example of the prodigal son. Daddy's not going after him. And if the son had died, he'd died. It's when the son said, I repent. Now, he didn't have to come the whole way. All he had to do was stand up. That Once he saw him in repentance, then what? He was, he was getting treated better than the son who had been obedient. Why? Because this is a bigger celebration. Because your brother almost died and went to hell. You, you were never in danger. 
You repented. You bought in. I mean, I see this. I look at my kids right now, and I've got them all in every different degree. But, you know, I have to say sometimes I have to go to the, the, the one that's, that, that, that lives, you know, and I praise God he stays this way. I mean, sometimes I have to go over and say, let me, gosh, I need to say something about your life. I mean, you actually do everything that you're supposed to do. You, 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 and uh, it seems like the others suck the energy out that I'm, you know, uh, do something today I can get on you about so we can have some sort of conversation. I mean, but, but, but I'm not saying he's perfect yet, but he's being sanctified. He's bought in. You know, and, and then I've got others that have bought into another degree, some who bought into a lesser degree, and some that haven't bought in at all or have made up their own version of God. And that's all different battles. But when, when the ones who reject God come back to repentance, yes, there's a celebration. And God's love pours out on sincere repentance. But His love does not pour out on the sinful. It doesn't. He can't. He hates evil, and He hates evildoers. If you don't believe that, look how many nations that he wiped out. And see, that was, that was Jonah's problem, wasn't it? I don't like these people. And I know you. You're angry with them right now, and you can't approve of them. But if they repent, you're not going to destroy them. That was his whole... How about this? This really gets me in the Bible. Jonah never gets over it. He never... He does it reluctantly and then sits there and pouts about it. We end the book of Jonah... So Jonah, what, where's the big ending where Jonah runs back and says, you know what, the way I, I, I was wrong about that. All Jonah did was finally say, I'll reluctantly do what you told me to do. And I know you. I know what you're going to do. They're going to repent and sackcloth and ashes. And you're going to forgive them. And I hate these people. But what does that mean? If they had stayed evil, what did Jonah know was going to happen? He was going to destroy them. So God's just going to love you even if you don't repent. You're just going to come to be in his presence. Not according to Scripture. He, he can't, remember we talked about, that's his character. He's holy. He can't, there's nothing he can do about it. He, his holiness rebukes evil and evildoers. Think about it. That's one thing Zachariah said. These are the things which I hate. I reject evildoers. I reject liars. I reject the boastful. I do not like deceitful men. I hate them. So let's be real careful on this kind of, and I think that's one of those things where a situation is kind of rough and we, we just make it a little better. Hey, now remember now, hate the sin, but, but love the sinner. We really should say hate the sin and love the repenter. Love the repenter. That's who God loves, the repenter. Now, has he offered his love? Did he do what needed to be done so we will repent? Absolutely. He's on record for that. But we, we can't take that and equate that His holiness somehow tolerates evil, even an evildoer. That's not biblical. I know, I know that's a tough truth, but it, but it is a truth. Think about this. Joseph, remember we studied about Joseph. What did Joseph say when he had the, had the, the woman who wanted to commit adultery with him? How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He didn't care whether he sinned against Potiphar. Potiphar was probably a jerk. He certainly had a flesh that said, come on, man, God's been really, look at the garbage he keeps getting you in. I mean, I'll tell you one thing, we're going to get these brothers back, I hope. You know, one thing I love about that is when they come back, and this is just an add-on, but when they come back, do y'all not love that Judah, you know, Jesus ends up being the line of Judah, that Judah comes back when he doesn't know what's going to happen? 
and he finally started thinking about what they did to their daddy. Yeah, they got mad at Joseph and all this, but he realizes, I've watched my daddy grieve. Don't kill Benjamin. Kill me. I tell you what we're not going to do. If you're upset and we're all about to pay for what we've done, just don't kill Benjamin. Don't do that to my daddy again. If somebody's got to be killed this time, it's going to be me. So he had learned what? He'd, he'd shifted it and quit looking at things from his point of view, and even the brother that might have gotten on his nerves' point of view, he never thought through what they did, how bad it damaged their daddy. And that's how we got to see it. What about God? Don't, don't do that to my, my Heavenly Father again. I'm not going to do that to my Heavenly Father again. So this sin today, I may have all the justification in the world by the way the people have treated me, even by the way my wife has treated me, maybe the way my family has treated me, even the way my employer has treated me. And here's my moment to get all them back but if it's sin, you know what you're saying? But I can't do it to God. I can't do it to him. What has he done in all this? Nothing but offer me redemption. And that's the attitude if you want to see victory over sin that we got to have. And look at this. God hates sin in people that have never claimed to be saints, but he really hates it in his saints. He hates to see sin in his so-called saints more than he hates it in the lost. Back to what Jesus said in Matthew 11. It's the same thing again. Y'all know better. Look at this. Have you ever thought about this? David, and I say this all the time with, with men who seem to consciously always want to bring up David every time they sin. Well, you know, it's a lot like David. No, you're nothing like David. Okay? No, you're, you're not like David. You're, you're really not. Okay? Well, you know David. You saw what all David did. I kind of look at this the way everybody looked at David. Well, David's life really earthly turned into a disaster. Now, if you want to say you're, you want to be eternally forgiven like David, well, praise the Lord, then you get the point say you sinned against God and, and beg for his redemption. But David's baby still died. David's life was still completely turned upside down. And what did God say at, when it got time for temple building? Not going to happen. That's over. You don't get to build a temple. You're bloodthirsty. Too much sore, too much trouble, too much calamity. I forgive you, but no temple for you. Same thing, look at this. Moses, no promised land. What? I mean, Moses gets redeemed for a righteous anger murder of somebody, spends the 40 years, remember we talked about in the finishing strong. He comes back, he's doing everything right. All of a sudden, what? He gets a, he gets a little angry, loses his temper, mocks God. I'll tell you how I'll get the water out of here. You know what God said? No promised land for you. You see, you're, you're another standard. You're forgiven. We'll spend eternity in heaven. You'll get your reward, but no promised land for you. You ever thought about that? Wow. Why do you think that is? Because he held Moses to an extremely high standard. Jonah, we just talked about him. Stomach of a fish for you. Well, I'm one of your prophets. Yeah, but, 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 but you're, you're, I don't like your attitude. I'm holding you to a higher standard than I'm even holding Nineveh to in the, in the fish for you. See, those of us that claim that we've been redeemed and then we want to be given responsibility, God says, well, then if you're going to be with me, then you've got to continue to act like me. And when you're inconsistent, I'm going to hold you to a higher standard than I do those that don't know any better. God never overlooks sin. Write that down. God never overlooks sin. We should, when it comes to our sin, we should live in reverence and fear. In reverence and in fear. The holiness of God 
is an exceedingly high standard. We all acknowledge that. It is a perfect standard. But it is, nevertheless, the one that he holds us to. Are you all willing to believe that as we continue to go forward? Because it's hard. It's an exceedingly high standard. And it can only be accomplished by God. But do you believe that it can be accomplished? See, I, I, be careful. I, I'm just going to be right in front of you, right here as I stand in front of you. See, I can feel the flesh in my, inside me going, <sighs> right now my mind starts going, all right, now what's that mean, some adjustments that I need to make? Little things always turn into big things. See, I had to address the big things in my life first. <laughs> I mean, God's like, okay, let, let's, let's just get Burgess. Come on, let's, let's just get you honed in on the biggies right now. And once we get the biggies under my authority, what does he always do? Now let's start addressing everything. Now let's start addressing everything. Same thing with, with, with me struggling with my weight. I can remember, I, if you go back and look at the memorial service for Bronner, I actually have, had, had lost some weight and was getting myself in pretty good shape because God was convicting me of that, that I was being a terrible witness, that I was... I, was, I did not have this part of my life under his authority. I was, I was feeding the flesh. And when Bronner went to heaven, I got down to being so dependent on it, he kind of got off of me about it for a while. He did. Let's just, let's just live right now. Let's just survive. Just lean on me. But about eight years after Bronner went to heaven, he came back and said, hey, you remember what we were talking about? about your weight and your eating, we're going to address that again. And the only way I've had any success in it is just because I can hear his voice. And on the days I submit to him, I have victory. And on the days I reject his voice, I fail. I have found that everything God's called me to, I can't do. But he can. He can. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for the, the powerful conviction of, of this incredible standard and message. But, Lord, may we never hear this message and get the attitude that we have to do it, and it's got to be something we have to accomplish, because, Lord, if that will be how we will become overwhelmed and disenfranchised. What you're saying is, this is who I am, so come to me. Tap into me. Tap into the Stop dumbing down redemption. Stop selling redemption that it has so little effect on, on how it changes us on this side of heaven. Lord, we know that you have the power to radically change all of us. And, and we just call on you to do so. May the conviction of the Holy Spirit be so radical in our lives that we are so uncomfortable with sin that we see it the way you see it. And Lord, here's what, let's pray for this too, that wonderful peace when we find ourselves properly aligned under your authority. And I pray that that be how we, we live our lives, through conviction, we move away from it, affirmation, we stay there. And Lord, may you be glorified by every life as we live a life of worship. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. amen. Thanks, guys.